0: Coming up next, the beginning reads To Kill a Mockingbird. Everybody, welcome to the Booking. Mean, my name is Nathan Opperson. You're humble and obedient. Host that's Brendan right there. He's the scholar who's a baller of reading. We're gonna hit the ground running because we haven't even talked about To Kill a Mockingbird yet. We've just talked about like racial politics and stuff about the book, and like we've talked, we've sort of talked about some criticisms and surrounding the book. But we're on episode four, and we need to talk about this book. I feel like we've
1: talked about the book.
2: <laughs> I kind of feel like we've talked about the book too. I don't but...
0: think we've ever mentioned it. Oh, do people even know what we're reading? Probably not. It's T-K-A-M,
1: To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, oh. this is it, Nathan. This is the take. Keep going. (laughs) This is the take? Yeah.
0: Uh, We're we're seeing this one through. All right, let's see it through. We definitely have not done five of these people. (laughs) Let's see it through to the bitter, bitter beginning. (laughs) Okay, my name is Nathan, humble and obedient host. I didn't even get to introduce you guys yet. That's Brandon. He's the scholar that's a baller of reading. No, wow. Books. Who's a baller of books? Sorry, grammar there who's a baller of reading books books what yes sorry. not reading books <laughs> okay just books <laughs> he doesn't just read instruction manuals and what else no. doesn't read no
2: he's a scholar who's a baller of books yep yes. and
0: the jay boy brandon i can't talk yeah. why don't you introduce our third person
1: well he's I'm the pastor the person he's just the third person i'm
0: saving the fire of awesomeness does that, that mean, is you're introducing f- you for brandon i'm oh, not giving the, it away So you're
1: the first person and i'm the second person yeah and he's the third person That'd be interesting. We can only use those pronouns. (laughs) What? You have to use first-person pronouns. I have to use second-person pronouns. Jake has to use third-person
0: pronouns. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Somebody should should write a sci-fi novel about that. (laughs) What an interesting concept. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) I get to be on the Brandon, I'm not mad at you. Hey, Jake. Hi. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Nathan. You
0: ready to talk to Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah, let's... Let's talk it. All right, let's, let's talk. talk. Let's talk guilt. Kill a mockingbird. Let's talk it.
1: it. <laughs> just talk it. Just talk it. Um, we should get a. That should be a t-shirt. A check mark. Just talk it. The booking.
0: That could be a t-shirt. Yeah, I think Nike might sue us.
1: Probably. Or just people with taste if in it, general. If it was a check mark instead of
2: a
0: swoosh.
1: There we go. <laughs> check mark. I mean, he
2: said check mark. He didn't say swoosh.
0: Yeah. No, we're not doing a swoosh. We're doing a check mark. <laughs> That's right. They're completely different. So. Let's talk about To Kill a Mockingbird because I don't feel like I stand by my premise from I think this take, which is that we haven't actually talked about the book that much. We've talked about some criticisms of the book. Mm -hmm. We've talked about, I know we've talked about the book. We haven't just like dug into the book. We've talked around the book. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it. Okay. But what we haven't really done is talk about
2: our heroes.
0: Yes, exactly. We haven't
2: talked about Scout or Jim or especially not Atticus.
0: And we have, in fact- talked around that a little bit i think people probably can guess if they've listened closely with a pencil in hand to the last few episodes where we might be going with this but why don't we just talk about atticus why don't we just give our take on atticus because i think we've got one i suspect we all believe the same thing although i don't know that we've ever actually had this conversation either on or off mic so what do you guys think about that
1: atticus finch I think he belongs in the Monster Squad. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) No. (laughs) just thought I'd do a little shock there at the beginning.
0: (laughs) I mean, we argued that Mr. Bennett, like our very first or second episode, we were already arguing that Mr.
1: Bennett belonged in the Monster Squad. Is that where we came up with the Monster Squad? We haven't really inducted anybody in the Monster Squad in a long time.
0: No. Is there anybody from this year that's just begging to go in the Monster Squad? I don't know.
1: What were the
2: books we read before this? I mean, I guess Lewis, the swan can go in the monster squad
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, that trombone his his dad stole that trumpet what's
2: that dove or whatever from uh johnny tremaine dove is that his
0: name the guy that burns johnny's hand the bully guy yeah he could go in there yeah johnny was kind of a crank maybe johnny tremaine should go in the monster squad not the book but the character of johnny Um, nobody from waiting for godot Oh, those Beckett! Guys, can go guys in the were, Monster Squad. guys were heroes. <laughs> 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 um, Tolstoy. Yeah, Tolstoy's got Warm some. Pills. Helena. Helena can definitely
1: go in the Anatoly. Monster Squad. So can... Uh, Anatole. Yeah, Anatole. And, and Dolikov. And Dolikov. yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah they all belong can. in the Monster Squad. And then we did, which... We did
0: Sense and Sensibility, Sense and Sensibility. which I think, uh, mis- I don't remember what her name is, but Mrs. John something, the, oh, yeah, the yeah, lady yeah. that talks her husband into uh, not giving money. She's a, she's a top-tier Austin villain. But I don't know that we've had any truly great monsters this year. I mean, even Anatoly isn't quite as good as. I mean, the book is great, but he's not like
1: he's not monstrous. He's in not way. the
0: best monster.
1: Yeah, he's not in What did it's we not do not before waiting for Kado? Really? What's that? We did something else. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The the painter. Oh yeah, and and Mo- he's mogam he, He's intentionally it. a monster.
0: Yeah, I don't know whether I want to give it to him because he'd like it. Probably, he probably <laughs> wants to be in that monster squad. Yeah. So. Uh Strickland, yeah. Oh right. I mean yeah, sure. If I knew Strickland, I'd say he was a monster. But I don't, I don't want to dignify him by putting him in the monster squad. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Because that's and I what don't he know wants.
2: What other monsters we're really gonna get this year? I guess we'll we'll get like Society twice.
0: Yeah, we're gonna get
2: we'll, In Never Let Me Go and 1984. Yeah, the
1: Social Order. Well, we'll, 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 we'll get some monsters in the Brothers Karamazov.
2: That's next year. Is yeah. that next year? Yeah, that's
0: not yeah. till January. Oh, uh, Dune has some pretty creepy villains i guess but i don't know if they're really never top let me tier. go society no. 1984 has o'brien the yeah mm, spoiler alert but yeah 1984 what, has a good villain
1: what shakespeare are we doing oh that that's gonna well, yeah, oh guys richard
0: the third yeah i to say are we
1: doing richard the third yeah we're doing year? richard the and third yeah. so there you go that is a top is, tier that's like a monster. top 10
0: of all time monster right there he, he is our monster yeah. yeah who plays him yeah benedict cumberbatch oh does he have the hump back? He said with some weird disappointment for some reason, just because he's a snob and thought that seemed like an obvious choice, but I bet it'll be a good one. So I withdraw my tone of voice. Thank you. Yes, he's got a hump. So Atticus Finch belongs in the Monster Squad. Uh, yeah. Worse than society and never let me go. The most depressing I can, half I can of make a not so serious attempt time. at p-
1: yeah. putting him in the Monster Squad. Sure. So can push back against it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, he's a distant father. No, I mean, that's that would be the place you would begin is he really has no involvement in these children's lives other than this being this very transitory figure that occasionally makes appearances and is larger than life to them, but has no real heft or weight in their lives other than very weak attempts at discipline and even sits apart from them at church. So, so
2: the question is whether or not one, is Atticus Finch just a straight up, straight arrow, ideal father? Or is he a, does he kind of suck? Mm-hmm. That's the first question. The second question is if he does suck, does Harper Lee know that he sucks?
0: Well, let's take the first question first. And I think if people haven't figured it out yet, the booking's premise is going to be that Atticus Finch is not the straight arrow that Gregory Peck plays him as. But. He's still awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, he's... But he is flawed, and you feel his flaws. Well, it's actually
1: very real to life and that a lot of times these larger-than-life awesome figures end up being kind of
0: problematic dads. Problematic dads, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that's half of the authors that we've read, yeah. half of the bios that you like to start with. At least
1: with. it's it sometimes happens that way.
0: Well, what's our case that he is, in fact flawed. What are the flaws?
1: Well, I think I mentioned some of the big ones there. If you see where discipline happens for his kids, it's usually not him. It's going to be Calpurnia. It's going to be his brother, people like that. It's going to be Jim for Scout. It's not usually going to be Atticus. Atticus is there to offer wisdom, but not discipline and direction. Usually he will occasionally when he needs to, but even then it's a very distant way of letting, like letting Scout kind of hear him say something because he knows that she needs to hear it. And then also, he's very invested in his job and in his society, even so much you have the—my students made a lot out of this, the fact that he does sit separately from his family at church, well, it which is, is just very— it's
2: really telling yeah. that Harper Lee would put that in there. Yeah, and She's I— She's saying something about Atticus, and that something is not a good thing. What yeah, is which— saying? Well— I think it is the one place if we're gonna get into that second
0: yes question. Which we we, yeah. Which I you know We can't avoid. Yeah.
2: Mm. It's the one place that she really just tells you that all is not right with Atticus and Atticus's children and I am aware of this. Right. Right? Like she did not have to put that in there. She did not have to write that whole thing in. If she wanted you to believe that she thought Atticus's distance and lack of involvement was one hundred percent a good thing then she would not have included that in there. Right. The whole point, the idea that a father would not sit with his children in church is scandalous. Mm
1: -hmm. Especially a Uh, widow.
2: Yeah. When they have no mother that is meant to be scandalous. It's meant to tell us something about Atticus. And so it may. what you actually have is a scout that felt the distance of her father and the lack of discipline and the lack of care. And she's going back and she's, dealing with her daddy issues, and she's looking at her dad. She's seeing some of the virtues. She's finding the silver linings in some of these things. And we all need to do this sort of thing with our dads, but that's what's so great about the book, is she's processing her dad, this flawed father figure, who actually was kind of awesome and kind of a hero, and for all of his flaws, didn't do such a bad job after all, and that's, that's the beauty and the pain and what really makes this book work at the heart of it is that's, that's what's going on here. And I, I think she makes it clear so many people though, I've, I've almost the farther away I've gotten from the book, the more I've come to doubt that that, interpretation, that interpretation.
0: Everybody sees them as Gregory Peck.
2: Exactly. And so I've,
1: have you had conversations with people? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. But when I go back and, Try to remember my mindset reading that book. Like I was on the verge of tears throughout most of the book, just because this is like this poor, pathetic dad who's just trying to do the right thing. But also, man, he's so weak. Yeah. He has so many f- flaws and shortcomings. And then you see you're you're seeing Scout <clears throat> interpret these sorts of things, and it's like, well, you know, he didn't discipline us. He wasn't there. He wouldn't. He wasn't the kind of dad that would play catch with you in the yard or whatever. But at least at night, he'd let me read over his shoulder. Right, yay! <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and here
0: are the five sweet conversations where he was trying to tell me something that I remember from my entire childhood that happened to have happened over this book, which is a period of years. Let's not forget yeah. the movie kind of doesn't do that; it all it compresses in, it all. It compresses it. it. Has but to. this starts in what second grade, and she goes until she's
2: yeah, I mean, ten or kind eleven of or in something. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's on the one hand we just sort of ran around and did whatever we wanted. On the other hand, there were some virtues to dad sort of treating me like an adult, mm-hmm. you know, and not treating me like a little kid all the time. And yeah, it, was a, it made me mouthy and weird in
1: school, but yeah, it also made me, you know. You can not ever forget that this is that weird dual perspective that some people don't like, but is characteristic of this book, that it's a woman remembering can, her can past. Can I
2: say one thing about that? I know we've hammered this over yeah. and over again. You're allowed to not like
1: it, but please don't say that it is lazy. Yeah, no, I, you're not talking to me, you're talking no, to people. No, I'm okay. just talking yeah. to the listeners. <laughs> Brennan? Yeah.
0: you're allowed to hate this book,
1: but don't say but it's I really like this book, no. guys. Like, I just- No, that was the
0: dumbest argument that-
2: People make it don't. all the time. Yeah, it's, it's, that it's- That what she's doing is lazy, and I just think you must not have ever tried to write anything in your life.
0: The things that look the easiest are almost 100% always the hardest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, it does look like an obvious conceit once you've back filled it. Once you've once you're in hindsight it's like, oh yeah, I see how she's doing that. But you try it. You try exactly. choosing cho- choosing the right moments and making it all play and making it not seem snarky or not seem syrupy. Try it. Yeah, you try it. Yeah brandon (laughs) i will see who the real lazy person is yikes guys (laughs) i like i like this book (laughs) pick your bindle
2: and go (laughs) all right see you guys Sorry, i interrupted you but
1: well no that that's basically what i was trying to say first is it's been
2: a while since we've had these many episodes on something yeah And so I've just had more time to
0: for it to kind of percolate. Yeah,
2: yeah, and conversations with people about. I mean, this is another one of those books that people are just going to talk to us about because yeah. it is one of the few books that everybody and has I think everybody thinks they've read or they've seen the movie. Yes, and exactly. They, think they know something about the book because they've seen the movie. Yep.
1: This is it's part of the cultural heritage so much that people imagine they know what this is about. This is the kind of book that and I could see myself
0: thinking I've read without yeah. having actually read and the the movie
1: is good enough that people think that that can get away with standing in for the book right but there are huge differences so i showed it to my students after we read it and they were all disappointed because it's really does not live up to the book
0: i watched i just watched the movie and i was i was devastatingly disappointed by what it did with atticus in particular
1: yeah it just (laughs) it it makes it all sugar-coated yeah it feels like the a lot of the edges yes
2: I still haven't watched it again.
0: so but we're going to do it over on Sanity at the
1: Movies, folks. Yeah. And uh, that's what people remember. And so, but you can't forget that there's that perspective. And so she's dealing with that. She's remembering her father from childhood. So like, for example, my seven-year-old boy still thinks I'm the strongest dad in the world. He'll say that very frequently. Yep. And it's like, well, one day he's going to grow up and realize that's not true. <laughs> but if he was trying to remember back to the past, what it was like to be Henry at his age. That's what he's going to remember and try to get that across. And so there's some of that rose-colored lighting that's happening, but it's not sentimental. It's meant to be a part of the, the flavor of the book. And so there are a few scenes you would go to to support Atticus being a weak father. There's the scene in the church. There's the scene where he gets angry and stressed before Tom Robinson's trial. And even so much that it kind of even oppresses the home. Mm-hmm. She talks about right before everybody comes and confronts him in front of the house. It's not like they're all happy. Mm-hmm. Atticus has been stressed. He's been angry, right? And so she's she says that. And then there's the fact that he's so absent that he doesn't even come to their play at the end. And so it's his absenteeism that allows them to- Almost get murdered. <laughs> almost get yeah, murdered. exactly. And so, I mean, those are pretty significant. Well,
0: the the one that actually, I know she kind of goes back and- scout overhears the conversation that sort of shifts her perspective but the one that personally offended me on scout's behalf was when uncle what's his face spanks her and yeah it's like okay dude atticus if you're gonna be progressive then be progressive but don't sit there and arch your eyebrow while somebody else does your dirty work for you or the fact yeah. that calpurnia slaps the kids around it's yeah. just like He's gonna be cool with that, but then have these like progressive ideals where he never has to yeah. have his kids mad at him or cause his kids any pain. That's like, yeah, it's I like, really felt scouts. That, that was one of the strongest visceral. A, like, I wouldn't like my dad at this. Mo-. Like, I, I wouldn't be mad at Uncle. What's his face? I'd be mad at. Well, he wanted at he, he wanted point. his
1: kids to have the same impression of him that the town had of him. Right? Is this progressive, wise, more mentor figure than a father figure? Right. Right. And the book. I think gets set across, and it's yeah, it's subtle. She's she's really is a master of showing and not telling, right? But it's all over the place if mm-hmm. you're if you're paying attention. And just because it's absent from the movie doesn't mean that it's not there in the book. There are many scenes. I really the,
2: think I really think that the the further you get from an actual healthy biblical understanding of inheritance of childrearing and fatherhood the less Atticus feels like an aberration. Right. But I can't imagine that Harper Lee growing up in the South.
0: I think people, nobody called their dad, like all these progressive ideas are new. right? And so the people that are first reading the book, wherever they live, they're like, who is this guy? This is supposed to hit us with a punch. Like the way the book is constructed, it's supposed to be like, this guy kind of sucks and then gradually oh wait a second this guy rocks like that's 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 the entire construction of the book like this guy's just letting his kids go and he barely cares about them and he's got all these kooky liberal ideas and he doesn't really even have the strength of those like you're supposed to be sympathizing with scout when she's like my dad didn't play football my dad didn't do this my dad and then you gradually have these aha moments where Atticus shoots the dog or where he says something cool or where they find, you know, finally with the trial, they see that this this buffoon actually is, you know, that Clark Kent is Superman. That's the entire construction of the novel. And the movie that Harper Lee wrote and approved of, so take whatever, do with, do with that what you will, but the movie completely ruins that because he is just Superman. He is just awesome and very fatherly
1: and from cool the from the yeah.
0: beginning and i think that's how people think about atticus but if you think about especially when the book was released nobody would have felt that nobody called their dad by their first name corporal yeah. punishment was that? just a like, thing but at least we're, we're kind of aware of that as a not that anyone would call their dad by their first name but just that atticus's style of parenting yeah. is something that we see and understand as being a thing no, nobody would even think of it as much of a thing right. back then. Yeah. I mean, they had Dr. Spock. It was a thing, but it wasn't a thing. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it was enough of
1: an anomaly that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This guy's supposed to be strikingly. If you want to argue for the progressive ideal that is Atticus Finch, if you want to say that's what she's doing, then maybe what she's doing is doing something subversive. Right. Where it's like, this guy really sucks. And then by the end, you're supposed to realize, actually, he's great. And it and always
2: has been, and you were wrong. And
0: you were wrong. But you have to still deal with the fact that she's intentionally setting him up to suck at the beginning.
2: And that's, but that is why I think, I don't think that there's anybody on any end of the parenting or political spectrum that would approve of Atticus Finch not sitting with his children in church. Right, right. I don't think there's any rationalization of that that anybody can get behind. And that's why I think it is the most telling thing. I think that in the other instances Brandon mentioned are all really good supportive uh, instances of that him not wanting to go to the play and really letting Scout down. But then, you you know, things like that, you can put yourself in Atticus's shoes. Right. And you're shoes. supposed to. Right. And you're, yeah. And you're supposed to. It's like, oh, the whole town's going to be there. He's just been through all this crap he doesn't want to show his face in public yeah. he doesn't want to get out
1: like whatever. but then he also the counter to that is the fact that his family had been receiving threats and to let his children go alone is you know yeah it's kind of a naive at least a naivety there
2: but he and, was super confident in his judgment that yeah he could, it could be blown off and that everything would actually be directed at him
1: yeah right and then one uh, one other thing is the fact that at the end he's so committed to his view of the law that he's unwilling to have the gray area when it has to be the sheriff who pushes him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's the sheriff is the one who actually speaks truth to Atticus. Well, if you're supposed to take that as the right move, but he's the one. That's
2: certainly what Harper Lee wants you to believe is that the sheriff is actually the one who has the spirit of the law in mind. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Atticus is just kind of a lame duck at the, I mean, he, he's, he's kind of impotent at the end of the book. I mean, then that's like the end of the book. That's, yeah, pretty telling after he makes his big courtroom stand. There's really nothing else Atticus can do besides be passive and kind of react. He to doesn't
2: what... have the sense to think it was Boo Radley. Yeah, he's convinced that it's Jim mm-hmm. and he's arguing that his son should have to stand trial for this.
0: Yeah, yeah, with there's...
2: the sheriff who's like, nope. First of all, idiot. Think about it. Yeah.
1: yeah how 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 much do I have to imply? What? Yeah. And that's, that's, second of all,
0: don't think
2: hey, about me, it. Let <laughs> let, yeah. let me whip this switchblade around here yeah. that I found. Wink
1: <laughs> wink. Yeah.
2: On a drunk man earlier tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Bob Ewell has a kitchen knife in him.
1: You think he's a ghost now saying boo? <laughs> huh?
0: <laughs> Do you radley? I mean, really think
2: that? Man, he must be a regular King Arthur. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: now still not following your Sheriff.
2: <laughs>
0: and you can't imagine. I mean, I haven't actually finished the movie, but Gregory Peck being that dumb.
2: You turned it off, you couldn't take it.
0: Well, I fell asleep during the trial scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, hey, it's the one good part. <sighs> <laughs> you were so traumatized by so... <laughs> that point. <laughs> well, the movie is just such an episode of The Andy Griffith Show. I mean, it's a good episode, I guess, but man. It is. It's, yeah. it's, it's not the book. I I, I I don't know how to answer your question, your second question, Jake, as far as what Harper Lee actually thinks. If, if, if all I had was the novel, I'd say it's obvious that Atticus is meant to be flawed and that she's playing with that. Given the larger cultural heritage and the things that Harper Lee is, she's not on record about a lot, but she's on record about loving Gregory Peck, remaining friends with the Peck family, loving the movie, adapting the movie. Like when you put that all together, it seems like at some point in her life, she decided that the cartoonish hero version of Atticus was what she wanted to go with or allow to become the public record of the book and then if you go back
2: and see what she started with which we shouldn't do no but if you'll indulge me for one minute to say that the atticus that she started with in her first draft was a racist who went to kkk meetings and i don't know exactly or remember exactly what the details were but she really started with a it was an adult scout going to confront and deal with and be scandalized by her dad actually not being the hero that she imagined she was yeah. that she imagined he was when
0: well i remember she that he's if you do read go tell a watchman or any of those material uh, any of that material he's he is exactly what some people have actually accused the atticus finch in the book as we have it of being which is kind of a patronizing white man that doesn't really get it he's not in favor of civil rights he's not in favor of letting them be free they're not ready for it he's that kind of a yeah southern guy so he's not like an out and out grand, grand dragon the whole thing that she was originally playing with before her editor helped her change the book was this guy really does fall from grace in scout's eyes precisely because he's he doesn't stand up to any of these ideals or hold up to any of them
1: yeah. And I think that Harper Lee was probably pretty susceptible to the influence of an editor or a producer. And, and so, the success. Yeah. And the success.
0: Well, you have to imagine, I mean, I don't want to pretend to know what, what was ever going through her head of all the authors we've read. She's one of the people that there's the least available to even speculate about. Yeah. But you have to imagine that if the whole world embraces somebody as a hero. It's pretty hard. You know, the civil rights movement was happening. This book was part of that conversation, and it was an important and inspiring part of this conversation. So a lot of white people in particular were really inspired by Atticus Finch, whatever her yeah. intentions were. And so part of her would have to almost be a churlish not to lean into it. You know, the people, right. the people want an, an icon. They want a hero. They want someone to yeah. venerate and lead them forward. Let's give it to them.
1: And as we've seen on the bookening, it's very easy to... Misread the intentions of an author. Yeah. And to kind of see what you want to see in a book. I mean, we see it all over the place. I won't start naming books, I guess. I can name one of the easy ones. I have professors in the past who argued that Anna Karenina was all about praising the adulteress. And, yeah, like, and you're like, you read the same book? Mm-hmm.
2: Did you look at the very first page? Yeah. Where <laughs> it says begins before chapter one and says
1: vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord yeah and so it's very easy to just read your cultural your, your assumptions into a book and then take away exactly what the author was not saying
0: well okay let me try one by that token what, one last time to say what people might say back to us which we've already kind of dealt with but you guys are just reading your cultural asso- associations in, in, into this book you guys come from a conservative culture where uh, you know discipline and things like that are highly praised and so you judge Atticus by that standard and find him to be wanting but actually nobody that wasn't a crazy conservative christian like you guys would find Atticus to
2: That's the argument to make but you have to reckon with two things you're going to have trouble squaring that argument up with one is whatever you want to say about our culture The conservative Southern culture of the, that Harper Lee grew up with and was writing in, probably blows us away. Oh, yeah. For one. And for two, give me a, you need to give me a good explanation for why she had him refuse to sit with his children in church. It is the most telling. You can rationalize other things. I've not heard or come up with a good rationalization of him refusing to sit with his children in church that does not say something bad about Atticus.
0: It's the price of their freedom. It's the societal price. I'm going to really try here. He can't sit with them in church because he has let them go by the hypocritical standards of the time, which he realizes he needs to adhere to, to some degree. And so... He needs to publicly distance himself a little bit, but it's all part of Atticus's larger, benevolent, progressive scheme to Uh, let his kids be who they want to be.
1: Yeah.
2: If he sat by them in church, he would be placing pressures on them. Okay. But religion is highly individualized and personal, and so he's going to sit by himself and keep his faith to himself and let his kids do the same, that is the way that you have to interpret well, and it. actually That's the way you have to interpret. He's, he's
0: not he's not an idiot, and these people in the town aren't idiots, like they'd have at least as much of a problem with it as we as would him. as as a rea- as your average reader would, so or Atticus more. is actually willing to accept a little scorn from the town's folks in order to hold to this ideal.
1: I don't like interpretations that really stretch the evidence <laughs> beyond where what you don't you <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see this happen a lot with really bad political readings of books and texts. And so it's always easiest to just, is it Occam's razor? The Mm -hmm. most obvious, clearest answer is probably the answer. And so if it fits with the other evidence, you know, them having other strong disciplinary figures, Jim kind of stepping into a fatherly role and Atticus being this absent character over and over again, it fits a pattern. The work
2: that that does for for Harper Lee in the book is... Scout feels bad.
0: Well, this book is all about Scout realizing that she shouldn't have felt bad about all that stuff.
2: Yes, well, well when the pla- in the places where Scout is trying to find a silver lining or a good interpretation of things, we see her develop that interpretation and put that spin on it and we feel the tension of it. She doesn't give us the explanation or even hint in the direction of the explanation that we just gave.
0: Well, except for the in the text, everywhere else. I mean, if you're bringing a bunch of assumptions like you guys do, that there's there's inherent that everything Atticus is doing is inherently flawed. Then, you're, then of course, you're going to see the ramifications well, as being
1: flawed. There's a difference between bringing your assumptions versus accurately reading the author's assumptions.
0: My assumptions <laughs> are that Atticus is basically benevolent, which is definitely borne out in the book, and that but yeah he's basically doing the right thing which is again born out in the book so if i'm going to go back and read into something where she doesn't actually give us where she gives us two, two and lets us make four there's at least as much reason for me to assume something benevolent about this guy who's kind of a great guy
1: than for me to assume something flawed that's assuming that harper lee is not trying to say that even benevolent intentions like that can still be flawed does that make sense that he can still be a distant father thinking that he's being benevolent. and yet He that can was,
2: be rationalizing his distance yeah, every exactly. step But g- the But way. given
1: the, the metatextual evidence,
0: given the movie, given the Harper's relationship, Miss Lee's relationship with the material after.
1: But that of, was years later. No, it wasn't. It was the early 60s. <laughs> well, I mean, it was not like years, years later, but it still was af- well enough after the publication of the book. She was also going with what Hollywood wanted to do.
0: Now you're making assumptions, Brandon. You have no evidence of that. What we do know is that she got to write the screenplay, which is a very rare honor.
1: I do know that Hollywood often neuters books, (laughs) as we're seeing with The Lord of the Rings. But this is a beloved classic
0: that most people have accepted as being a pretty good adaptation of the book.
2: Well, I think that that is the best case that you can make, and I think that it has to be left to the listener's judgment. If we're right or wrong. I
0: have to say, I didn't mean to make a good case, but I actually actually don't think my case is all that bad. I don't
2: think it's the worst case. I think it is the case you have to make if you're going to maintain that position. I think that part of what's smart about Harper Lee in this book is that she does leave enough ambiguity all over the place to make you have these kinds of conversations and have to think about. And there are places where it's very clear what she thinks about John Dewey Mm -hmm. and you know education, yeah, 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 yeah. or whatever. But so much of the deeper you get into the questions of race or fatherhood, the more gray area she leaves you Mm -hmm. to just have to wrestle with things. And that's part of it's part of yeah. It's it's what's great
1: about the book makes a great book to teach, right? So I'm with JKI, but um. So, like, I got a whole class period just out of the last scene with the sheriff mm-hmm. and Atticus trying to figure out, okay, is she, is she saying there's anything wrong with what they're doing here? What What is she actually saying here? And you, there is so much ambiguity that you, in the end, you know, they come to the conclusion where, well, the sheriff is the uh, real, he's the authority, so he stands for the law here. And there's there's ways to get around mm-hmm. and talk about it, but still. She is making them as students uncomfortable because they have to deal with the fact that it's not always black and white. This room, There's this gray area, and it's mm-hmm. very difficult to live in that gray area.
0: Well, where I would probably argue against everything I was just saying is it feels like the places where she does tip her hands, even even apart from the church scene, which is pretty telling... Just the random places where she tips her hand. It's always in the direction of things being more complicated, not of them being more bifurcated. Not of it's always like the horrible racist lady on the porch is actually a great kind of noble. Yeah, and and that one teacher is a horrible satire of not a horrible, a very well done satire of progressive idealism. Right. So where she tends to sort of give you a peek which isn't often, but where she kind of shows, your, shows her hand, it's always like, well, let's take a step back and realize this is more complicated. Even the Yule family, really. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's I, a decent amount of sympathy generated for the daughter.
1: Yeah. Yep. What's implied happening with the father. Mm-hmm. The fact that she has that well-tended flower bed that she wanted a man outside of her dad right. to yeah. enter. Into, I mean, there's a lot of the fact that Tom Robinson was interested in doing it makes him a little bit more
0: interesting than just yeah. the the saintly victim. Yeah, so it's always more complicated. The guy, yeah. and then you know, there's just these random scenes that I guess are supposed to be telling. Like the guy that who's the guy that they meet outside the court that's been pretending to be.
1: Oh yeah, the guy who lives down at the river, yeah. crazy. He's
2: married to a black lady, and so he has to go around pretending to be drunk so while sipping Coca Cola yeah. so that people can. F- have it have a rationalization for him. I'm right. gonna start
1: doing that. I'm gonna carry a Coke and a paper bag. Paper bag, just see what people say. I think you should. I think you should.
2: <laughs> well you have all those microcosms that really do exist to say things aren't always what they seem. Things are always more complicated than they are and yet, and they're given to you piece by piece throughout the course of the book. You've got, you know, that old lady on her porch is there from the beginning to be like, hey guys, this is a story about how people aren't always what they seem. Mm-hmm. And they can be awful, but also there's something to redeem in even the most awful person, probably, unless they're Bob Yule.
1: Mm-hmm. And then they're monsters. Bob Yule, he could go in the Monster Squad. Yeah. Is he too easy? He's, <laughs> he's an easy target. He's an easy target
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: for Boo Radley's knife.
2: Um or the jerk that rapes his daughter and falsely accuses another man and lies about him in court and gets him hung and then goes out and tries to...
0: Murder some children. Murder some children. <laughs> yeah, if you want to argue, uh-huh. one place where she does go, pretty black and white, so to speak. Old I don't know Bob I Ewell.
1: Lot, I think Bob's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> you felt a lot of compassion yeah. for Bob. He's just a victim of his
0: circumstances. That's all. <laughs> Bob Ewell is a type, and I, I will say, you know, if you wanted to say one thing about this novel that maybe wasn't perfect, I, I would love it if Bob was actually shaded in just a. Just a tad and not not a type.
2: If you want to just get really meta here, the fact that Bob Ewell goes down so easy as a villain, it is a precursor to the vilification of lower class blue collar white males. Mm -hmm. The fact that just that is one of the more despised classes in America today, you could put a little bit of that on. Harper Lee, if you want to, probably.
0: I would be more tempted. I, I agree with you. I think I'd be even more tempted to put the blame on Harper Lee's progeny. Everybody the, everybody that's then gone and r- written their own To Kill a Mockingbird has made it so much more cartoony right. than Harper Lee. You, know, you watch movies like Mississippi Burning and stuff where the, the villains are just these horrible caricatures. And if this was the only book that, that was like this, I think I'd forgive Bob Ewell just being a type, a a, a plot device as much as anything. Is he Bob or Tom? Now I'm confusing myself. Bob Bob Ewell and and Tom Tom Robinson. Tom Robinson. Robinson.
2: (laughs) Even then, you've got, what, you have the Ewell boy that comes over for...
0: No, that's the, isn't that the Cunningham boy?
2: Oh, you're right. That is Cunningham. Yeah.
0: But that's a telling scene where we have a guy that's going to be racist enough to be part of a lynch mob, you know, against Atticus, basically. And then that guy's going to be like... Maybe uh, maybe Atticus and his daughter have some humanity. <laughs> cool.
2: I I think that the Cunninghams are a nice little bit of contrast to the Ewles. Yes. Right. Cunningham's they'll be poor. They'll live in squalor. They'll be filthy. But they've got enough decency and pride that they don't take anything off anybody. They pay it back in their own way. And when old Mister Cunningham comes down, he's gonna he's gonna back off.
0: Right. Well, and maybe, I mean, this is, I think this is probably worth pointing out. The, just because some people might think we're arguing otherwise, the Bob Yules of the world do exist. I mean. Oh yeah, they do. Just Yes, yes. White middle, lower class men are absolutely demonized in today's culture. And it's really, there's a scene in a movie that made me sick, which is in the first Kingsman movie. You guys remember that gem of no, cinema? Never saw it. Yeah, don't, but. There's just this racist church of people of lower class white people and there's a drug pumped in and they go crazy and they start trying to kill uh, whatever the secret agent guy and he starts. oh
2: I've seen spoofs of that scene
0: yeah and he starts killing them back and
2: it's okay because they're all a bunch of dumb well in the
0: plot of the movie they've been drugged so they've just turned into zombie people anyway but you're supposed to feel really good about it because hmm. the guy was giving some kind of racist sermon right before and it's just like this is so i it made me feel sick to my stomach like is this really what you think of me movie maker middle america like this is this is us like yeah, we just yeah. deserve to be struck down for the amusement of audiences everywhere that being said i have met I've talked on the phone to the populace of the world when I worked for an answering service, I worked for a community college that would put out advertisements and those advertisements would of course be the typical multicultural, you know, there'd be a black guy and a Chinese chick and you know, like those like a stupid community college Mm -hmm. advertisement and those ads would play in middle America and we would get these horrific phone calls from people complaining like about how we had, I mean, I, I cannot, on a family podcast or even probably on a not family on a pg-13 or r-rated podcast i can't begin to recreate the things that they said but people would call in to complain about wow there being black people in this advertisement getting educated and these people were against it and it was some of the nastiest most degraded just monstrous stuff i've ever heard in my life I don't want to argue that those guys don't exist. I will argue that it's often a cheap plot device to put one in your story. Yep. But but they exist. Yep. Can we talk about the kids? Any yeah. Day? So uh, this is another thing that I don't think we've had, a conversation I don't think we've actually had either on or off mic, but I, th- I bet you guys are going to agree 100% with me. I did not remember this basically being Jem's story. Yeah. And this is Jem's story. It we, is.
2: We, uh... We did talk about it, but only very briefly. It was just like an offhand comment about how this is actually a coming-of-age story for Jem. Mm-hmm. Right. A Bildungsroman buildings yeah. from Scout's perspective.
0: Yeah. I mean, that stuff was all – It just must have – I don't know how old I was when I first read that book. Maybe I was, like, younger than Jem, so it just went over my head. But, like mm-hmm. – but I was incredibly moved this whole book, by – And that's some of the deftest touch that she shows with like, we never get Jem's perspective. We get his dumb younger sister's perspective who does not understand the thing about what's going on with Jem really. I mean, she does, but she's not giving us many ends. She's while we're getting his Jem's actions and it's still, it's really moving to watch him. Yeah. He's
1: He's the real protagonist. He has all the major development that a protagonist would have at the beginning you yeah, have the foreshadowing of his broken arm. Then he has this to come to terms the story with his dad. Of how yeah. Jim
2: broke his arm. I would say it started here. Somebody might say it started there. Jim would say it started back here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the whole thing's just his coming of age. It's his coming to terms with his dad, his coming to want to be like his dad, and then also his individuating from his dad as well by yeah. protecting his sister. Well, and what a
0: dying. what a smart i mean i know this is just saying the same thing we've said for four podcasts now but what a smart deft idea to tell it from the perspective of someone who's just two or three years whatever she is younger so Mm -hmm. she doesn't quite ever get it she's all telling it from the perspective of someone who's just a little bit behind that's the kind of thing listener that you wouldn't think to do when you wrote your version where you did the thing that was so easy and obvious and stupid you somehow would tip your hand or you just yeah. decide to do it from Jem's perspective or age scout up so that she could understand more. But the fact that you get so much about Jem with so little, with so little yeah.
1: is brilliant. Well, then you get that. So the only other book that comes close to kind of doing this is my Antonia, mm-hmm. where you have Jim Burden remembering the past. Yes. And so you get this wonderful book similar to that, where you have a main story about a character mm-hmm. in Antonia or Jem. But then you also get these wonderful side stories about childhood and nostalgia and how sweet it was to grow up in the South at that time and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Sweet, not in the sense like awesome, but just how much she loved it and loved Jim. And so you get the little side stories with Dill, the other things that happen, which add to the depth of the story, but don't really add to the main narrative, you know, Mm -hmm. but are still there for that reason. My Antonia is a really good book. It
0: is. That's my deep thought. (laughs) it just reminded me how much of a comparison point. I don't know that I have anything brilliant off the top of my head to say about it, but
1: no, there definitely are these crossovers between them. Yeah. i felt that very much reading, yeah. reading. It's, it's an American style. Yeah. That Marilyn yeah. Robinson tried to do with. Mm, hmm. Well,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. As we know, I didn't appear on those episodes. So no, yeah,
1: you, you don't know what we thought of those, Nathan. <laughs> I, <I'm> sure, <laughs> what a great book though. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: <laughs> but, uh, Yeah. I wonder why this is, this one's the one that everybody remembers and is the touchstone And My Antonia is kind of an outlier a little bit. Part of it it's is just- Relatability. Just, just yeah. the relatability, yeah.
1: Relatability. Scout really is a great- I mean, she's she, Scout and Jim are great characters. Yeah. They belong up there with Huck Finn as some of the great childhood characters and uh, David Copperfield. hmm And then also it has the touchstone of having been about civil rights, right when civil rights was a big thing. Yeah, it's a right and, time, right place kind of book. And now that's still a major- talking point of our culture so yeah it's going to have more of that political and it's got a great movie you can't yeah. underestimate And that. so that that's one of the reasons yeah
0: i think that there should have been a scene where atticus threw a woman off of a sled and she was devoured by wolves <laughs> yeah or he's remembering his past and... <laughs> scout until you've literally walked around in someone's skin <laughs> while they're being eaten by wolves <laughs> Is there anything else to say about Jem? I mean, he's a, he was the character that really moved me. Whenever he kind of moved forward and understood something more about his dad, those moments were the moments where I found myself tearing up, but I don't know that I have anything more profound to observe about him than that. No.
2: No, I don't really have anything.
0: It's interesting that she ends with Scout, given our premise that it is Jem's building's Roman.
2: Let's, let's not get... I mean, part of what's great is that it. This book does so many things mm, all at once. Yeah, let's
0: not be too bifurcated about yeah, it. Yeah, let's
2: let's not overstate our case. It is a coming of age story of Jim. It's a, a a reckoning with her father and her past of Scout. It's a civil rights book wrapped up in all of these other things. That is what makes it. That's what blows my mind about it, and makes me really want to put it right up there. Mm-hmm. For the great American novel, no,
1: it should be a contender.
0: Yeah, D- yeah, Moby
1: Dick and Blood Meridian.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the three classics. I don't remember what we decided. There are people who would argue we, for we, Blood we Meridian. We leaned on Huck. Yeah, we leaned yeah. on Huck, which I still. Well, let me ask at the uh, yeah, end. Of yeah, this. this is going this to be our last podcast, so I'll ask at the end whether we still want to lean on Huck. So hold that thought, Brandon. Okay. But gosh, I don't know if I have anything interesting to say about this. But the character of Scout is great.
1: She's the perfect eyes to see the story through. Well,
0: there's just no sentimentality about it. You know, it's ob- it's observing some real things about childhood, but not in a way that feels like it's begging you to feel sorry about Scout or feel that she's cute or make a big deal
1: out of her innocence in the moment where it's just really Well, I think that's because she chose the right kind of child to do it. With. Yes a tomboyish girl who wasn't going to really be asking you to think that she's cute is willing to be brave and impertinent at mm-hmm. times.
0: But there, that's, that's another reason why it's so, such an impossible task to actually make this into a movie. And why I don't actually like the movie is because you've got, it's just hard not to cast a little girl that, you know, looks kind of cute in her, you know, button up overall. overall, overall things. Yeah. And I'm not saying the filmmakers could really, what, what are they going to do? Intentionally make her not cute. Like there's no there's no real way to handle that to mitigate that exactly. But But it's it's,
1: she does it well because mm -hmm. I brought up Dickens for a reason. People really can have trouble writing children' carriage children in accurately, but she's right up there with with the best of them. So right.
0: Well, one reason people to come back to this again. One reason people probably do look down on the device a little bit is because it has been so overused since then you'll get you'll read these memoirs and these stories of small town life where especially where it's written from a child the well, point of view of a child who's a little wiser than her years who kind
1: of is getting things intuitively i mean thanks to mockingbird it became right. an american trope yeah so Spielberg, stephen king all those guys Strengthen do it things, because yeah. of her yeah i think we really have to give the award andy, andy. andy griffith yeah
0: andy griffith yeah
1: was it, was that before or after her?
2: That's why I stopped myself
1: right around the same time.
0: Andy Griffith, if I'm not mistaken, came out in 1965, which would be right after.
1: So but it was probably inspired. It's my loosely. assumption
2: that Andy Griffith, the Andy Griffith Show, was direct ins- I- I- directly inspired by Atticus. You
1: have to imagine it was, yeah,
0: yeah, just the kind of folksy. Uh, you guys want? It's to know? the
2: Atticus Finch show, starring <laughs> Andy <Smith>. Griffith. <laughs>
0: Uh, da, 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 Andy Griffith Show, I guess. First, yeah. e- Oh, uh, maybe maybe this episode actually predates. Maybe there was just something in the water. What was it? Uh, it's 1960, which would put this episode, uh, the first episode of Andy Griffith coming out actually before. Well,
2: there you go. So then, uh-oh, you can reverse it.
0: Yeah, she ripped <laughs> it off. <laughs> yeah. Sue him, Griffith Estate. Yeah. Use that Matlock money. Put it some good. Hire some...
1: It's one of those calculus events where two people invent the same thing at the same time. Well. this came out in 1962. What makes well, what that makes not, me not think. Not 1962, 1960 as in well.
0: 1960 also. What that makes me think is that another reason this book is a touchstone is because, I mean, the 1960s is a tumultuous period. Things are changing. People actually can't go back to that small town life. Everybody's nostalgic for yeah. this kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. we are to this day. But. Like, the reason the Andy Griffith show is popular is because of two reasons. It's Don Knotts. He's funny. And people just love living in that world. And it's not like everybody was tuning in from Mayberry to watch Andy Griffith. They were tuning in because they wanted to believe that places like Mayberry still existed.
2: Yeah, there's still simple, upright father figures like Andy Taylor, who know how to handle comedically stupid people Mm -hmm. like... Barney, Barney Fife and yep. widower who's raising his yep.
0: free range kid. Yeah. You know? Well, it's why it really makes you appreciate again, how brilliant Harper Lee is because she's already got him beat. She's already saying, actually, guys, it was never that simple. Yeah, it was. But also it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, you could go down and get a soda, and then go to Floyd the Barber or whatever. But not, maybe,
1: not if you were black. I, I don't think a lynch mob ever shows up in Mayberry. That <laughs> <laughs> <It> would be. <laughs> <laughs> It would be some preposterous <laughs> event like uh, Don just Knotts accidentally
2: avoid the existence of blackface. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, no.
1: well, how did they do that though? Don Knotts <laughs> would have to like accidentally appear in blackface or something. Andy, and... <laughs> we
2: gotta run him out of
0: town. <laughs> <laughs> He's your Jimmy Stewart impression. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> they both do sound the same
0: <laughs> in my brain at least. So, having talked about it now for four episodes, is there anything else that you guys want to say about this book? Any? I'm gonna ask whether. Where you, I'm going to ask the Great American Novel question again. But is there I any any other like observations you want to make? I have
1: talked about everything I want to with this. Uh, novel. I have
2: anything else to say, and I'm sticking with Huck.
1: You're sticking with Huck. I'm sticking with.
2: I think there's a sense in which this is is the uh, the this is the fruit of of the Great American novels that have gone before it, where you take. Some of the storytelling and American character of Huck uh, of a Huck Finn and you combine it with the sensibilities of an Ernest Hemingway mm-hmm. and you, you know, it is a lightning in a bottle kind of a book mm-hmm. and is a truly great piece of craftsmanship. But man, Huck Finn's so rich and has so much yeah. to it.
1: I think when it comes down to what would I want to read, again, it's Huck Finn. That's such a hard question. The
0: best parts of Huck Finn are definitely better than the best parts of this book, but this is certainly a more consistent novel than.
2: Yeah, There, there's nothing to be like, uh, uh, oh, about to kill a mockingbird. There's plenty of that in Huck. Yeah. Especially how it ends.
0: Right. Well, oh, yeah. And even one of the great, the, the greatest scene in the book and one of the greatest scenes in American literature, Huck actually developing a conscience is so riddled with Twain's blasphemies that yeah. you can't really it's, give it as much of a blue ribbon as you want to. Yeah. Yeah. But I still kind of want to get to give it to Cuck just because it's a great book. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean there is no To Kill a Mockingbird without Huckleberry Finn. I guess There's that's not. that's that's the argument maybe. Yeah. But
2: yeah, but you can say that. You can always follow that.
0: There's no Star Wars without Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. That means The Hidden Fortress is no idiot. Yeah.
2: No, Star Wars is cooler because it's Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars wins. Sorry. Yep. Loser, <laughs> loser. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you go all the way back to Homer, the Bible, if you want to.
0: Right. I think the Epic of Gilgamesh is the best thing ever written.
1: Yeah. <sighs> when <are we> gonna... <laughs> That's the, it's the quintessential American novel. <laughs> yep. <right there.
0: laughs> the great American novel. <laughs> <laughs> so what's our vote? Did we...
1: So you guys both said Huck. Yeah. And I think I'm going to have to... I think we're team Huck. Yeah, I think yeah, we're going to yeah, have to join. I'm going to have to join, yeah. And then we'll have to revisit this conversation when we do Moby Dick. Yeah, which I think maybe...
0: Well, we have to do two things next year based on this conversation. Next year, we definitely have to take a page out of Brandon's book and read some James Baldwin or Wright or one of those guys. Read Native Son or Get one of those in. Ralph Invisible Felsons. Man. Yeah, yeah. It's just two. We do need to read Moby Dick. Well, let's get through the Brothers Karamazov first. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Gotta kill that White Indeed. Well. Indeed. Let's read that Grand Inquisitor. He's
1: grandly inquisiting. He's asking some hard questions, man. Yeah, some is. deep questions, man. Yeah.
0: Super honest. Yeah, man. Oh, man. <sighs> oh,
1: if boy. I could, if I had the infinity gauntlet, I think I might snap and make every philosophy department in the world just disappear.
0: <laughs> wow. Harsh. I think, I don't think the world would be that. If anyone's here that's a philosophy major, Brandon does not want to snap you out of existence. To snap you out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, let's, uh, Speaking of jobs, our job is to shout out our donors now. Let's do it. Brandon and Jake, what I'd like you guys to do is both say which one of the three great American novels these people would appear in. One of the three? Which one? Of, well, yeah. Is are, that what you said? Is this person Moby Dick? Are they Huckleberry Finn? Or are they? Blood Meridian. Blood Meridian. <laughs> or are they, what's the, the other one? Oh, kill Mockingbird? Yes, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> the one we just talked about. Or, or maybe which character from any of those works? You got the judge, you got the kid, carefully. you got Atticus Finch. That's
2: carefully? What in the world?
0: What did you say? Carefully?
2: I don't know what I was trying to say. That's terrifying, maybe? I I said that's carefully. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's carefully. That's carefully. <laughs> it felt kind of not that carefully to me. <laughs> I was regretting it even as I said it, but Jake says it's carefully. Okay. Uh, Robert Ronda the Lovebirds, Brandon. You don't even shout them out. Just say who they are. Scout and Jim. The artful Anthony Dodger, Jake. No, they're not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's redo that.
1: They're Atticus and his deceased wife. Okay.
0: Well, that's <laughs> not really that much better. Sorry, okay, Rhonda. Okay, they're... Um,
2: uh, this is going to be hard.
0: Uh, They're just... Ishmael and Quad or whatever. <laughs> they're Ahab
1: and the Whale. Ahab and the Whale. There
0: you go. Wow. Sorry again, Rhonda. The Artful Anthony Dodger. Ahab. The Little Anthony Cigar Store. Uh, they're Huckleberry Finn. Sweet. The Immortal Chelsea E. Scout. Jimmy uh, Beam and little Annie Oakley. Oh, oh man. They're Huckleberry's father. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> none, none of these are going to be compliments. Okay. little J- Jimmy Beam, or no, uh, Lily of the Valley. T- Tom Sawyer. <laughs> Just say any character from any American novel for these people. <laughs> Andrew and Esther, it, the lovebirds. It's birds.
1: hard. Uh, Esther Prynne. <laughs>
0: oh, wow. <laughs> You're going out of Hester your way Prenn, to yeah. pull out. <laughs> that is the <laughs> only one I can think of. <laughs> the Keith Master. The Duke. Who's the Duke from? Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> David's Mighty Ben Trucking. Uh, a stagecoach from Blood Meridian.
0: Wow. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Aunt Polly. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Uh, they're definitely Calpurnia. Fairy <laughs> Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Widow Douglas.
1: Council Prime Adam. Um... He's the Atticus Finch's opponent. Forget his name. That great character, Jeremy, yeah. the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Oh, he's uh, he's got to be. Um, Did often the judge. Did...
0: <laughs> there you go, Nathan.
1: Not me. <laughs> oh, he's um, Atticus Finch. Maya, Maya, Judge Thatcher.
0: Ryan the Red Avenger, and Judith of the Ladies of Justice.
1: Oh, there are some of those. People who scout people in Blood Meridian.
0: Danny the Dude. The Grangerfords. <laughs> DJ Sammy G. Oh,
1: he's Tom Robinson. <laughs>
0: Benny and Tana Tiberius. <laughs> the
1: Wilkes Family. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. They are, it can be, uh, they're um Moby Dick. Wasn't somebody already Moby? Oh yeah, they're um Quag. Yeah,
0: there you go. Professor and Lady X. Silas and Sally.
1: Lavender's green, Dylan Dylan. Dylan Lavender's blue lavender's green dylan dylan i love you too they're quick uh, i say quick they're star star uh star Starburn, star, star, star burn star and no constrictor moby <laughs> dick mary cheap oh man she's um she's definitely got to be abra so- the fair and fragrant maiden
0: chloe <laughs> kathy <laughs> anthony who is cold and hates life liberty in the pursuit of cheese the kid, um, you guys can try and beat me before I say something.
1: Oh, this is fun. Okay, uh,
0: Jujutsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger, Tom Sawyer, the- Rachel, 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 Rachel Dawes from Batman, that great literary character, uh, Leopard Tank Thomas, Thomas the Tank Engine, Midnight Ninja Ellen, Ellen Holden Ron Caulfield, Generous, Queen Cangeta, Tom Joad, uh, Simba. Return of the Jedi. Luke Skywalker. Day of Rack and Ruin. Aaron Trask. Uh, uh. Oh yeah. Uh, Timothy the <laughs> the writer at Ma Jod. Dawn of Justice. Dawn, hot solo. Uh, Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are warm and love bees, Jerry Seinfeld. Maddie 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 And that's why I was gonna say
1: too B movie, man. Cra-
0: yeah. Yeah. Hui. Kramer. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Frasier so many great literary characters <laughs> uh tyler the keeper of eternal darkness and what lord the keeper of podcast. eternal life um, they have to be american characters uh, gandalf <laughs> yay uh, cold steel cody
2: luke skywalker
0: cool hand luke Jacqueline, the librarian barbarian Coming and the Barbarian. Anakin
2: Skywalker.
0: John Bombadillo, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Tenille, his mate.
2: Ahsoka Tano. The Captain
0: and Tenille. Saxophone Alex. Saxophone Alex.
1: Obi Wan Kenobi. Oh, yeah. I can imagine Obi Wan playing the sax. <laughs>
0: Bookening today uh, was written and produced and created by Warhorn Media, all your fine friends here. Go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. And guys, next week is our 200th episode, and we are going to be doing something very special, aren't we? Oh, yeah. So special. I came up with a bunch of good ideas, and Jake and Brandon voted on none of them. They voted <laughs> on the other idea. <laughs> We can still download that, right? I'm excited about this idea, actually. This was one of my good ideas that I came up with, which is to watch. Brandon, Brandon, as you know, works T.S. Eliot into every single context. Not a context goes by after 200 episodes where Brandon doesn't mention the name T.S. Eliot. And so we thought we'd give him a chance to talk about T.S. Eliot, since T.S. Eliot wrote the book for the hit musical Cats, which was made into a movie. Yes. With Idris Elba judy dench taylor swift sounds like it should be good <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be great we're gonna talk about that looking
1: forward to it question mark
0: so that is our exciting 200th
1: episode coming up next week and then in 50 episodes after that it's the bookalarian
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, we will never know what that is
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out when we get there yep bye